Welcome to We the Women. This is our celebration of the 19th Amendment. Exactly 100 years ago, on August 18, 1920, the 19th Amendment was ratified, giving women the right to vote. To celebrate, we'll be talking to women from around South Carolina, thought leaders, movers and shakers. We'll ask them about how they have used their voice and what they have done to contribute to our great democracy. Enjoy the conversation. In this episode, Post and Courier education reporter Janice Schifferl interviews Melissa Moore, Low Country Manager of Women's Rights and Empowerment Network. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, we are here with Melissa Moore, who is the Low Country Manager of the Women's Rights and Empowerment Network. Um, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it too. Um, I'm excited to, to kind of dive in and learn more about you. As I said, I've kind of, um, you've been in my peripheral for a while now, ever since I moved to Charleston, as certainly someone who has influence in, in the Charleston, especially in the area of LGBTQ advocacy. Um, so the reason why we're here today is to talk about the 100th anniversary of the 19th, the ratification of the 19th Amendment. Um, so I've kind of, a lot of times I've opened it up with what does that mean um, to you as an individual, because I think it means something different to everybody. Um, so I don't know if you want to go ahead and tackle that, but I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think the route to uh, voting rights for everyone has been messy and tarnished in the legacy of white supremacy. Um, so, you know, 100 years ago, uh, it was really white women suffragettes who were afforded most of the right to vote anyway, a few black women could, but you know, a lot of um, a lot of the black women who are fighting for for voting rights are written out of the story in some ways. Like when people talk about the history of women's suffrage, you often hear about Elizabeth Cady Stanton, um, Susan B. Anthony, but you don't always hear about Sojourner Truth and Ida B. Wells and the many wonderful, like amazing trailblazing black women who are fighting. Um, so to me, it means we need to be fighting for everyone. So you cannot be leaving any person out when you're trying to achieve civil rights for anyone. Um, you know, never leave anyone out. That certainly touches on something that I wanted to address, which is whenever, and I've, I think I've said it in all the interviews I've done so far, is when we have these conversations, especially when we're looking back on our history, we can't ignore the fact that, yes, this was the 100th anniversary of this um, ratification, but that didn't mean that automatically everyone right. was afforded that right. And there was still a lot of obstacles for, for all women to overcome, mm -hmm. specifically women of color, though. That's right. um, and I think that you touched on that head on. Yeah. Um, Asian women didn't get um, voting rights until, you know, almost in the middle of um, the 1900s and uh, indigenous women. Um, today, still, we're fighting for the rights for people to vote. The, um, and, you know, if, if you're incarcerated for a felony, you don't have the right to vote. Oftentimes, trans women aren't allowed to vote because their names don't match or they're not allowed to get IDs um, that match uh, their gender identities. So we don't all have the right to vote. <laughs> Wow. And when we're talking about women, it's really important to talk about all women. That's people of all ages. That's incarcerated women. That's trans women. And when we're talking about people who have been discriminated against because of their gender, we also need to think about people who don't 
um, adhere to that false binary of male or female. Um, there are folks like myself who are non-binary who aren't, aren't fitting neatly into these boxes that were um, predetermined for us. I'll be honest in saying um, that's something that I don't think I've spent enough time myself reflecting on when especially when we have these conversations. So I'm almost embarrassed to kind of admit that when we talk about the rights of, you know, to vote when we talk about incarcerated people or, or, or trans people who are sometimes denied that if, um, right. if they're trying to go vote and show an ID that might not, yeah, you, you know, um, that, that might not match what their appearance is. So that's something that I, I, I'm, yeah, I, I'm embarrassed to admit that, but that is, it's gotta be very real for those people. I mean, when you consider about vote being, the right to vote is that it's a right. Yeah. And so it seems like there's almost some barriers still in place for, for people that might not fit inside these boxes that we mm -hmm. check. Right. That is very real today. Oh, yeah. And there's still, you know, there are places like Georgia that have these exact match laws, which were designed to disenfranchise uh, communities of color, like black and brown communities. Um, if your information doesn't match exactly what your DMV information says, like if you are called Tom and your official information says Thomas, you can be denied the right to vote. Um, I guess in terms of, you know, if we're speaking in terms of like, of women, trans women, you, you can't always get an ID that is reflective of your gender identity. So um, that's a real issue. Are there things like that in place in South Carolina that have made it an issue for South Carolina trans people? Oh, absolutely. I know that I hear stories all the time of people having trouble at the DMV or trouble with um, presenting documentation. And things are are getting, it's getting easier for people to discriminate against trans folks because they have the protection of the state. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they have the protection of the federal government. Um, so often you're seeing people being, um, like protections being uh, written out. So like with the Supreme Court uh, ruling on you know, uh, discrimination in the workplace. Wow, that was a big win. But then you can come around if you're religious, if you claim res religious exemption, you can still discriminate against people. So um, that's very dangerous. Yeah. Wow. The Intertech Group and the Zucker family are proud to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. Um, moving, um, kind of segueing into some of the other stuff. Um, that I, that I wanted to talk about with you is you, you've been a long time leader and advocate for LGBTQ plus rights. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to hear a little bit more um, about your experience. You use they, them sure. pronouns, mm -hmm. which I think some people might have a hard time grasping if they're not really used to it. Yeah. Um, tell me about your experiences as a gender nonconforming person yeah. and how that has shaped your trajectory in so far. Mm -hmm. When I was, I mean, ever since I could remember, ever since I understood what gender was, I was trans. So when I was a small child, I identified as male. Um, and it was very much not accepted. Uh, I was punished a lot for that. And so I tried very hard to conform to traditional um, expectations around like what it is to be a girl, um, even though I was 
what some would call butch. Um, I tried. I tried to wear dresses. It didn't work very well for me. Um, I knew that I was queer at an early age. Like, I, I came out of the closet as gay in high school. Um, but I had really tried to conform to that, um, to the girl label. Um, and it wasn't until very recently that I embraced the non-binary identity. When I was growing up, it's, not, it's just not something that you were allowed to, to be. I didn't have any cultural context for it. Um, I didn't have any role models. All I knew is that like people would tell me, you are not a boy, you are a girl, you have to do this, you have to have babies. You, you know, I was basically told what it means to be a girl and all these expectations were just kind of shoved down my throat um, my whole life and I rejected that but I did try very hard to to do the girl thing um, and really I think my healing kind of came from working with LGBTQ youth because they had a language for what I was feeling that I didn't quite have a name for um, and you know I think adults try to say like we are going to be a great example for the youth and mentor the youth, but I feel like young people and, and elder people mentor each other in a lot of ways. Like, so there are lessons um, that young people learn from, from their elders and there are things that young people teach uh, to elders as well. And so like that freedom of, of self-identification is something I learned from actually being in, in a job that, uh, where I was providing support for other people. It was interesting. Yeah. That um you're you're at Ren now. Mm -hmm. Um but you've you've worked at We Are Family, which mm -hmm. is how I first met you when I was interested in, in writing stories about um homeless youth, which unfortunately a lot of times um are LGBTQ people. Um yeah. but you've also worked for the Alliance for Full Acceptance mm -hmm. and for SC Equality. Yeah. So you have a laundry list of these advocacy organizations um, and speaking about I don't know what I call it breaking news but it's a big victory recently on that front um, here in Charleston County yeah. um, school districts um, just a few days ago school board uh, voted to kind of add some new additions to mm -hmm. the sex ed curriculum which yep. can be opted out if a parent doesn't feel comfortable yep. with it um, but they did add the, the content because prior to very recently, it was against the law for South Carolina schools to teach mm -hmm. um, any sort of LGBTQ um, identity in a sex ed curriculum unless it was within the context of sexually transmitted diseases. Right. Um, so I know this has been something that has been on your radar probably for a long time. Yes. And you were involved in a, uh, at least in some way with the... Um, the legal action that was taken to kind of prompt this and if actually so. i cannot claim any uh I, any credit for where carrying the ball across like to use a sports metaphor across the goal line sure. the new leadership of we are family nigeria richardson cora webb jonathan uh, ramirez and the folks over at um uh campaign for southern equality carried that ball over the goal line, finish line, whatever. I'm not a sports person, but like I can tell you that we fought. I mean, that victory was a long fought uh, fight. So I was involved in that fight um, for years. So I've been 
I worked for We Are Family for about nine years, and then I worked for AFA for a few years before that, SC Equality for a couple years uh, before that. And like we had all been trying, and even Ren, Ren, had, you know, Ren in its earlier form had been working on that. Folks have been really trying to chip away at that archaic um, Comprehensive Health Education Act for a long time. And really this new energy, this new leadership from these organizations really took it home. What, what was I that? was there in the picture for support. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. What was it like? So although you weren't maybe not directly involved with, mm -hmm. as you said, carrying the ball, you know, over, mm -hmm. over the finish line or whatever. Or I'm it's not a, a sports, relay race. I'm not a sports like person either. So how many uh, metaphors can you I know? Mix? Yeah. Um, what was I guess? What was the emotional reaction for you? Still though, who's you know who's who's been in this fight though for yeah for years. You know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, how like you can fight for so long for a thing and then it happens, it almost feels like it happens overnight and you're like, wait, did that really just happen? Do it, can I trust it? Like, is this real? You know, um, so there was a sense of disbelief at first. Like, I can't believe this is happening. It's such a wonderful thing. Um, but then there's also a cautious feeling like there's still more to do there always is and when you get a victory that doesn't mean that it's always going to be a win it doesn't mean it's something you don't have to defend forever and ever so like you know your rights are not fixed there's something that um you know the way that our system is set up um this country is based on inequality so like any second any of our rights could be taken away and the fact that you know, any that any one of us walking around has no rights while some of us enjoy rights means that even the people who are enjoying rights are in danger of having their rights taken away. We can't let that stand because, um, yeah, anytime there's inequality, there is a danger that everyone is going to suffer under it. So W.K. Dixon specializes in creative engineering solutions to help make our local communities better, safer and sustainable places to live. Having served community infrastructure needs for nearly a century, W.K. Dixon knows that great design and great people make for great communities. While there, while this this big thing happened, uh -huh. um, it still seems like it's almost contingent upon local school districts yes. to actually implement the new options that they have at that's their right. disposal. And that's yes. so the fight. You know, it seems like it's not quite over yet. You know, or. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up, too, because I believe the school districts still can choose between. So there's this great new curriculum that was approved, the three R's, right? But the schools can still default to the problematic, um, stigmatizing and a curriculum that's full of shame and stigma around sex of all kinds, whether it's, you know, LGBT or not. Um, so... Any time that, I mean, I don't even know why those options still have to be on the table. If parents have the right to opt out of a, a curriculum, then that should be the end of it. Mm. So um, the fight is still ongoing. It is up to the districts. And I hope that um, they require this new curriculum to be taught. Um, one thing that I wanted to also talk about um, is how... We've discussed it a little bit, but it's. Do you fear? Do you feel that um, throughout your life, you know, navigating 
this world that we live in as someone who was maybe a little different from what the norm was, mm-hmm. um, whether that be um, your sexual identity, your gender identity, mm-hmm. whatever, if that had an impact or if there were more barriers that you felt like you might have to overcome than someone who might not have mm-hmm. those things in their life. Does that make sense? I'm not sure if I worded that correctly, but yeah. So what were you asking a question? Yeah, I'm sorry. My <laughs> sorry. question is, do you feel that you had more more obstacles or different obstacles? I don't think, um, you know, like some, some, have you ever heard that term, the oppression Olympics? Like I never want to compare my struggle to anyone else's or, or like make it a contest for whose life was <laughs> difficult. The hardest, right? Yeah, I think that everyone has challenges. Everyone has privileges. Um, mine were different than other people's. That's not to say that other people's, you know, it's it's our challenges and how we overcome them that shape who we are. So I wouldn't go back and change any of that for anything because I feel like at the end of the day, I've become a much more resilient person um, and much stronger in my sense of self because I had to fight to be the person that I am. We're in South Carolina. You were born and bred in the low country, yes. right? Um, we're in South Carolina. Um, things are a little slower to, to move. I think the needle may be slower to mm-hmm. move. Um, for those who are unfamiliar or might not have been educated on stuff like this, is there anything that you like want people to know about the work that you do sure. or um, the fight that you've been fighting, I guess? I think, you know, I think that a lot of times, so being from South Carolina and being from Charleston, the way that I hear other people talk about the South as if like some folks who are not from the South need to parachute in and save the South or like there's, we're looked down upon or um, really like when you, when you think about it, so much amazing leadership comes out of the South. Like sometimes where you have the hardest issues, you have the strongest leaders, the most inspiring leaders, the most resilient Um, the most creative uh, resistance. So I am very, very proud to be from the South. I am very blessed, honestly, to be able to do the work that I do here and to be able to pay my bills doing the work that means so much to me. Um, And I hope that there are more opportunities. And if I can, all I want to do is open up more opportunities for more people to come into this work who are from here who understand the struggles. And honestly, when you live a struggle, you are the expert. You are the one who should be in the center of the leadership of that struggle. Um, So I would say to other people who are doing the work here too, um, really set about figuring out how to um, find ways to center people who are in the middle of of struggle um, in the leadership and how how do we make more jobs here where people can feel fed by the work and feed themselves at their kitchen tables. Like, um, yeah. It's really inspiring. It's powerful, yeah. especially when you can tell how passionate you are about it. Oh, thank it. you. I think, um, I think it's, it might be sad, but it's a luxury for, for people to really, you know, eat, sleep, live, and breathe the work that they do. And it's, be, it's fueled by 
this passion. So it's, I think it's really sometimes rare to see that. Um, and it's lucky for people to have that in their job that they do. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to ask about Ren and what you do mm -hmm. there now. What is, what is a low country manager? What does that entail? I know you probably wear a million hats, but mm -hmm. what does your day look like? And, and what does your job kind of look like? It's oh, an interesting question. So uh, in the post-COVID world, my job looks like trying to organize and build relationships and community where we can't be together in person. So that's been a challenge. But really, um, you know, Wren is based in Colombia in the Midlands. Wren is unique because it is working on a lot of policy issues um, and in a state where a lot of lobbyists are representing corporations and big entities. I think Wren is kind of holding court for uh, the rights of women and gender expansive people. The people of South Carolina's interests are at the heart of Wren. And I think what my job is, to, is to expand that um, outreach to the low country. We want to basically work ourselves out of a job. We want to make sure that we're helping to build that critical infrastructure in South Carolina that can sustain past the life of any organization um, so that like when reproductive health is coming under attack, when your rights to um, make reproductive health decisions for yourself come under attack, we have a community and an infrastructure there that can fight back. Mm -hmm. um, we also are, you know, looking at the economic empowerment of gender expansive people and women. Um, so that means like, no matter what, people need to be able to sustain and to have full lives and not have to struggle for things. Um, and that there needs to be equity built into that. So um. you're a busy person. Yeah. <laughs> well, aren't we all? Yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of wanted to wrap things up and end sure. um, almost where we started um, when we talk about the right to vote and its importance. How does that relate when you talk about someone as yourself who has spent, you know, their life dedicated to fighting um, for some of these other causes and a lot of advocacy work? How does how do those two things dovetail and, and what is the, the um, connection for you there? You mean, OK, so sorry, the right to vote, the right to vote and, and making change, making and advocacy change. Work. That's a great question, because I think so much of the really important decisions aren't made by the decision makers that are elected, but those elected decision makers are so important, right? So our right to vote determines who is in charge of our water, right? Who's making sure that our public health is being looked after. So if you can't have a say in hiring and firing those officials that make life and death decisions about you and your community, that's a problem. And I would say too that local elections, I know that like these federal and presidential elections get so much attention and they're important, but really the our daily lives are mostly impacted by our local elections, city council, um, you know, things like that. So um, yeah, the right to vote determines everything, your proximity to a grocery store. It determines how the land is going to be used in your community. Um, very important. Thank you so much.
for joining me today. Is there anything else that um, we didn't talk about or questions that I should have asked but didn't that you want to... Why didn't you ask that, me? No, that you want to highlight, I guess? I always like to ask that just in case I'm, you know, I didn't cover something that you wanted to talk about. <laughs> um, I am a little concerned with, well, okay. I'm concerned with the way that the city handled the Black Lives Matter protests, to be honest, and how brutally they were treated, the people who were out protesting tear gas and, um, you know, firing rubber bullets into crowds. And I, I watched the video of the pro-statue monument, mostly white protesters, and I saw the riot police being marched out and turned their weapons on the Black Lives Matter protesters and not the people who are probably even armed to support the monument, that's my city. And I'm like really scared about, really scared about the direction we're going. That's not quite related to okay. <laughs> women's rights, but that's okay. it's been on my mind. I had to bring it up. No, that's, yeah. that's fair. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I, I don't know if I ought to respond to that, but I was trying to, um, I hear you, though, and I, I think that's a concern that is um, not only shared by you. I think it's that's something yeah. that we've heard quite a bit. Um, yeah, like a respiratory pandemic is happening and you're shooting pepper balls into crowds and crowding people into jails who are like nonviolent people. Like property damage is not violence. And you're arresting people en masse by the truckload and putting them in jails during a pandemic and... You know, just a couple of months earlier, people were in the streets, like, armed mm. because they couldn't get haircuts and milkshakes. Mm. But I didn't see riot police mm. come out for that. So yeah. that makes me nervous. I hear you. I hear you. And I think the only context that I can provide is I that um, one of those early nights, I think it wasn't the first night, it was Sunday. Mm-hmm. I was sent out and I, and I watched some of that unfold. Um, and it was... It yeah. was jarring as a just like on a human level. It could be. Yeah. It was jarring. Did it hurt your soul like, um, as a human? Yeah, it was. It was probably the craziest, like strangest experience that I've had. I mean, I'm still young, so that could change. Mm-hmm. But like to date, I will say it was absolutely bizarre. So, thank you though for um, for being here, yeah. for being willing to share your story, um, and for taking the time out of your day just to talk with me and help me learn a little bit more um, about some of these issues. So I can't thank you enough. Well, thank you. I really appreciate this. I feel very uh, humbled and honored to be uh, on this list. So, Two of us write about healthcare here at the Post and Courier full-time, which is so rare for local newspapers these days. The Post and Courier is owned by a family that clearly cares about this community. This is an exciting newsroom to be in. We understand that the policy decisions made in Columbia and made in Washington by our elected leaders directly impact people who live right here in the Low Country. We the Women is a special series of the Post and Courier in celebration of the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. To enjoy all 19 interviews, visit postincourier.com backslash we the women.